Hey there. Welcome to the Anchor Point Church podcast. We're so glad that you're here with us. We are a group of people in New Tecumseh, Ontario, who are doing our best to follow Jesus in the everyday, ordinary stuff of life. Our vision is simple, in Alliston as it is in heaven. So whether you're here checking us out for the first time or are already a member of our church family, we hope and pray that this message, which is rooted and grounded in the scriptures, would encourage you, console you, and build you up, and most of all, would point you to Jesus and the vision he has for his kingdom. Bless you. Today, I'm going to be speaking on the power of the Holy Spirit, which is a very exciting topic. So in the spring, I was able to go visit my sister who lives in Nova Scotia, and it'd been a few years since I'd been able to be in the ocean, so it was a very exciting thing. It was April (laughs) in the Atlantic Ocean. It was very cold. They have very good wetsuits. But when... Uh, So they live close to this beach, and it's actually one of the few surfing beaches in Nova Scotia, so there's some really big waves there. And I walk out into the water, and the only word to describe it is power. There's just the waves and the water and just like the feeling of being drawn and pushed and pulled in different directions. And it was just immense power. And my brother-in-law was like a few feet from me and I couldn't even hear a word he said because of the roar of the waves. And I just, I remember just feeling so alive and like, I just have all this unlimited power around me. And then my sister was taking this video of me and I looked back at it and, you know, I feel like I'm like, yeah. And I'm actually like ankle deep frolicking in the waves and look like a ballerina and... Um, (laughs) And that is kind of my experience with the power of the Holy Spirit this far in my life. So I know of the power of the Holy Spirit. I know that there is this immense power. And I have enough of experience with it that I felt it in little bits and parts. But when I look... But it's really more like I've been wading ankle deep in things. And so I just offer that because this is a teaching that comes far more from my thirst than my experience. And, um, but I think that's okay because we're on this journey together and it's a really good place to be. So we are in a series called Come Holy Spirit. And today I'm going to be talking about the power of the Holy Spirit which is something Jesus promised his followers, but what does that actually mean? And who is it actually for? And what actually is the power of the Holy Spirit are questions that I'm assuming a lot of us probably have. Uh, And just off the hop, one thing, when Tom talked about this over the last couple weeks, the Holy Spirit is a person to know, not a force to just be wielded as we think necessary. So um, today I just want to take a look at what the power of the Holy Spirit is through the biblical story. And we're going to do that in three parts, because I like to do that to you. Um, First, the power of the Spirit in creation, then the power of the Spirit in the Son, and then the power of the Spirit in us. 
And uh, our teaching text today is going to be Ephesians 1. So if you have your Bible, you can pull that up. Um, And this is a letter Paul wrote to the church in Ephesus from prison. And it was likely a letter he was dictating to one of the few visitors he was allowed to have while in prison. And you get the feeling that the writer was just trying to get down Paul's thoughts as quickly as he can, um, because it's just one extremely long run-on sentence, essentially. Um, But it was written to strengthen the church and to remind them of all that Christ had done for them, and then to instruct them on how to live in response to what Christ had done. And Ephesians 1 ends with this beautiful prayer that we're going to look at pretty thoroughly this morning, uh, because it is a prayer to know the power of the Holy Spirit, which Paul identifies as the key to living out everything else he instructs in his letter. So it was to the church of Ephesus, but it's still very true for us today. So um, yeah, I'm going to read all of Ephesus 1 to us (laughs) this morning because I was allowed to pick my own teaching text. And sorry, guys, but this is what we're reading. So, all right. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to God's holy people in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Praised, praise be to God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given to us in the one he loves. In him, we have redemption through his blood and forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. With all wisdom and understanding, he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ, to be put into effect when the times reach their fulfillment, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. In him, we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we, who were the first to put our hope in Christ, might be for the praise of his glory. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, 
far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is evoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. This is the word of the Lord. Come, Holy Spirit. We need your wisdom. We need you to help us understand what it is you've called us to do, what it is you've done for us. And we need your help to understand the power that's available to us. I just submit this teaching to you. Have your way within and just let truth settle. Like Trish said this morning, just we ask that you get the things in our heads down into our hearts. In your name, Jesus, I pray. Amen. All right, so we are going to start in the beginning. Page one of the Bible, Genesis verses one, verses one and two. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep and the spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And the ancients used this word waters to represent chaos. The spirit was hovering over the chaotic, formless darkness of the pre-creation world. And whatever that actually meant, it, what, like, what it composed of at that time, we don't know, but it was definitely not a place suitable for life. It was empty. It was formless. It was not a place you could build a house and raise your family in. So in the beginning, over the chaos, God was there, and so was his spirit. And the word spirit in Hebrew is the word ruach, which we actually translate to breath. And this is uh, kind of a helpful picture for us when we're trying to understand what the Holy Spirit is, because we have our own breath. But what happens if our breath is taken away from us? We die. Yeah. So our breath is our life force, and the spirit is God's personal life force, his ruach. So in the beginning, as God spoke, his ruach, or his breath, brings order to the chaos, creating everything we see around us. And this is the power of the Holy Spirit. It's to bring order to chaos and to create life in uninhabitable places. In Genesis 2, God then fills humankind with his own ruach, giving them life. And not only that, but he, he blesses humans and tells them to go on creating life. It's a gift that's meant to keep on giving, to keep on creating within the perfect overflowing relationship of love that's at the center of this good creation. But of course, unfortunately, it was not to be. Humanity chooses to ignore the gift of God's Ruach to bring about life and chooses life on their own terms. And the results are devastating. We give up our union with God. We give up our role as rulers in what God's Ruach created. But God makes a promise that one day 
someone from Eve's line will come and set right what went wrong in the beginning. And as the story of the Bible unfolds, the Messiah, or the one anointed by the power of the Holy Spirit, would come and renew the world. And through the Messiah, the same Holy Spirit that created in the beginning would recreate all of this chaos that humanity has created through their rebellion and bring new life. So in the gospel accounts, we read about how this Messiah came into the human story. Mary was visited by an angel and told she would conceive a child to which she responded, well, there's a bit of a problem because she was a virgin. She had a womb that was uninhabitable for life. It was a place where life shouldn't be possible, but the power of the Holy Spirit, the power that brings life to those kinds of places, filled her, and then Jesus was brought into the world. So that's kind of our short story of the power of the Spirit through creation. The power of the Spirit in the Son so have you ever asked yourself, how did Jesus do what he did? How did he heal? How did he walk on water? And a very common view held by a lot of people is that it was because he was the son of God. And there is truth to that, but it's incomplete. Jesus was God, fully and undeniably, but he was also fully human, so the more complete answer is that Jesus could do what he did because of the empowering of the Holy Spirit. This is a, a quote by Clark Pinnock. Pinnock, something like that. <laughs> the word became flesh and exercised power through the spirit, not his own. The son's self-emptying meant that Jesus was compelled to rely on the spirit the son decided not to make use of his divine attributes independently, but experienced what it would be mean to be truly human. So in the scriptures, Jesus' baptism is the actually the inciting incident for the miraculous work that he would go on to do. Before his baptism, Jesus lived 30 years without doing any teaching or miraculous works. And I'm just going to pick up um, in Luke 3 when Jesus is baptized. When all the people were being baptized, Jesus was baptized too. And as he was praying, heaven was opened and the Holy Spirit descended on him bodily, in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my son whom I love, with you I am well pleased. So Jesus is anointed at that point with the power of the Holy Spirit and then the rest of his ministry follows. And Luke makes a really clear point of letting us know that it is by the power of the Holy Spirit that Jesus goes on from there. So Luke 4, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. And then I can skip down a few more verses. Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and news about him spread through the whole countryside. He was teaching in their synagogues and everyone praised him. So it is by the power of the Holy Spirit. He's led by the power of the Holy Spirit into the wilderness and then into the towns to start his ministry. But what is it exactly that Jesus is doing? That is how he's doing it. What is he doing? What is his mission? And Jesus himself sums it up this way. This is also from Luke 14 or Luke 4. 
He went to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and on the Sabbath day he went into the synagogue as was his custom. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor, and he has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. He began by saying to them, Today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. And then a few chapters later, when John the Baptist sends word and asks, Hey, are you really the Messiah? This was Jesus' response, Luke 7. At that very time, Jesus cured many who had diseases, sicknesses, and evil spirits, and he gave sight to many who were blind. So he replied to the messengers, go back and report to John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. This was Jesus' mission. It was recreation. It was to do what the Spirit, the light source of God, did in the beginning, to create order from the chaos of a sin in the world. And he lived an incredible life. It was overflowing with supernatural love, love given freely to anyone and everyone who chose to trust him. He recreated through miracles, through his messages of grace, and by restoring the marginalized back into community. But most profoundly, Jesus' life overflowed with suffering love. John 15, 13 says, Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. Jesus' greatest act of recreation was when he gave up his status as God and died our death on our behalf. So Jesus' life is not evidence to support his claims that he is the son of God. His life is an invitation of what it looks like when someone is anointed by the Holy Spirit. Jesus was the truest home that this Holy Spirit ever had because he allowed the Holy Spirit to be fully himself in him. He was a living, walking, talking tabernacle for the Ruach of God. And through Jesus' life, the Holy Spirit did the work of recreation that God promised in the beginning. Through the open channel Jesus gave him in his mortal human body, the Holy Spirit began the work of making all things new. But this is the really crazy part. <laughs> the power of the Holy Spirit in us. And this is where we're going to spend the most time this morning. Before Jesus' ascension, he makes this promise to his followers. And this is the verse that Tom shared a few weeks ago that he feels has particular significance for us at this time. This is Acts 1, verse 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So there's another act of creation that the Holy Spirit does through its power. For the Spirit first created life in the uninhabitable pre-creation, and then the Spirit created life in the uninhabitable womb of the Virgin, and then 
At Pentecost in Acts 2, the Spirit descends on a group of broken, frightened, unqualified misfits whose leader had just left them, and he makes them into the church. And the book of Acts, which is the sequel to Luke's gospel that we've been reading a lot from here, um, is the story of how the gospel spread through authoritative preaching and miracles and the radical, sacrificial love of ordinary people. And I don't know if you've read the book of Acts recently, but it's wild. (laughs) Peter preaches a sermon that people hear in many languages at once. The apostles heal diseases and drive out demons. Philip appears to teleport. Peter has a miraculous escape from prison. Many disciples see visions. Paul brings a boy back from the dead. They also created radical communities of never before seen generosity. They fed the poor daily. They took in orphans and they cared for widows. And their teachings of how self-sacrificial love was supposed to play out in the home and in the workplace rattled the Roman Empire because the Roman Empire was built on the kind of power that needs to be enforced. And the kingdom of God is built on the kind of power that cannot be taken from you because it was never yours to begin with. And Acts has no ending. We're still living it out. This is the age of Acts that we're living in. And one of my favorite verses is um, actually... I think Tom was very close to sharing it this morning too. One of my favorite verses is after Peter and John have been on trial from the Jewish leaders for healing a lame man and says this, when they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished. And they took note that these men had been with Jesus. So what is this power that Jesus promised that we will receive when the Holy Spirit comes on us? It is the same power that the Holy Spirit gave Jesus, and it's the same power that the Holy Spirit gave the church. It's the power of recreation, of bringing chaos into order, of bringing good news to the poor and sight to the blind and freedom to the oppressed. And this finally brings us to our teaching text today. Ephesians. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. As we are talking about the power of the Holy Spirit, we do need to talk about that word holy. And the word holy really just means set apart. A few weeks ago, Tom used this analogy from uh, Tim Mackey of the Bible Project to explain holiness, and it's really helpful, and so I'm going to very quickly go through it again. An operating room is holy. It is set apart for the purpose of surgery. So you do not defile that room with things that don't belong in it. You don't go into an operating room with a runny nose or the boots you wore on the farm. An operating room needs to remain holy, needs to remain set apart as a space for surgery in order to save lives. So we, who are included in Christ, chosen by him to be holy. And in this case, we are set apart for God, for his glory and his purposes, which Paul tells us is 
the unity of all things in heaven and, on, and earth under Christ. It's the renewal of all things to perfect loving relationship. That's what we are set apart for. And yet, our life experiences don't often match this description. I mean, that sounds great, but I'm still kind of working on the chaos in my own life. And so once I get my anxiety or my marriage or my addictions under control, then maybe God can use me. Or I'd love to get involved in some kind of missional work, but I really just don't have time for that right now. Or, yeah, I want the power of the Holy Spirit, but I would prefer to read a few more books about it first and have a very clear picture of what that's going to look like. Or I tried that, and I asked God to let his Holy Spirit work through me, and nothing happened. There are endless possible reasons we can come up with that disqualify us from the power of the Holy Spirit. And I just want to share a few things that I think should be very freeing for us. There is nothing that we can do to make us worthy of the power of the Holy Spirit. Nothing. Not me, not you, not Tom, not Mother Teresa, or the Paul the Apostle. We are not worthy of it. Like the free gift of your salvation, the power of the Spirit is a gift. You cannot earn it. You need only receive it. Ephesians 1.13 says, When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit. So you who believed are sealed in Christ, meaning that he claims you as his own permanently. Jesus says in John 14, I do not give to you as the world gives. So no matter what, he will not take his presence from you. You can't earn the spirit, but you also can't lose the spirit. However, we can frustrate the spirit. We can refuse to give it room. In order for the power of the Holy Spirit to work through us, we, like Jesus, we need to be that home for him. We need to not just be a container for the Spirit, but a place where he can be himself. And after his baptism, the Spirit led Jesus not to the leper colony to start performing miracles, not to the towns to preach, and not even to go feed the hungry. The Spirit led Jesus, who was fully human, and though he did not sin, was fully susceptible to sin. The Spirit led him into the wilderness so that he could be emptied of the lesser appetites of the flesh and make room for the Holy Spirit. And we need to do the same thing. And this is not about legalism. This is about making room. It is about appetite. It is about being the kind of humans that actually can be this channel. So if there is unrepented sin in us, things that we either do or don't do that we know we're supposed to, we need to get that out of there. And we will always need God help for this, always. But we might also need each other's help for that. And that's okay. Um, this is one of the things a community like this is for. Our sin robs us of life, and we really do need to take it seriously. But then there's also things that are maybe not outright sin, but are definite lesser appetites. They are neutral things. They're fine, but they take up space in us. 
back to our operating room, you don't bring things like illness or your filthy boots into the operating room, but you also don't just hang out in there to read a book or play Monopoly. The operating room is set apart for one purpose, life-saving surgery and clean but lesser activities don't belong there. So um, I just wanted to share, I've had a few of these little nudges over the last while from the Holy Spirit about some lesser things in my life that are not outright sin, but were definitely getting in the way. Um, for example, I felt led to get rid of my social media accounts because they were just turning into a huge distraction for me. And then another time I heard a whisper that I was starting to use caffeine as maybe a little bit more of a medicine than anything else. I was just relying on it too much. And so I prayed on it and I decided that I should only drink coffee out of pure enjoyment and not exhaustion. And a weird thing happened. I actually started liking coffee again. It was like <laughs> so these are both fairly neutral, harmless things, but they were starting to take too much room up in a life that desires to be set apart for God. So those are my things, and you have to let the Holy Spirit convict you of your things, but I just wanted to offer that as an example in case that's helpful to someone. A.W. Tozer has more helpful things to say, too. He says this, Satan has opposed the doctrine of the spirit-filled life about as bitterly as any doctrine there is. He has confused it, oppressed it, and surrounded it with false notions and fears. The church has tragically neglected this great liberating truth that there is now, for the child of God, a full and wonderful and completely satisfying anointing with the Spirit. The Spirit-filled life is not a special deluxe addition to Christianity. It is part and parcel of the total plan of God for his people. And just a thought I had on the idea of emptying to be filled with the Holy Spirit like it's important to point out to us that Jesus was not just like a robotic shell of a man who produced miracles. He had a full personality. He had good friends. He was funny. We kind of read the scriptures as very serious, but there are jokes in there. He was a funny guy. And he lived a life full of joy, and he could let the spirit be fully alive within him. This is a picture I've had before and shared here before, but I thought it just kind of made sense to share it again here. Um, in one of our the books I have at home, there's a picture of um, a seashell that's been completely fossilized in gold. And so the shell is, it is still its own being, right? It is still, it has all of the form of its original thing, but over time, it has absorbed into itself all of this gold in place of the other things that it weren't really necessary in it until it is at once the shell and the gold. And that's kind of the goal of emptying ourselves. It's not to rob us of all of the things that make us us. It's that we can be fully ourselves who we actually are as well as filled with the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm, it is good. Yeah. So we can make room for the Holy Spirit in a number of ways. It can be confession and a fresh receiving of grace. It could be through fasting where we forego lesser things in order to cultivate appetites for better things. And as always, anything we do should start with prayer. And what I want to leave us with today is a specific prayer that I really believe has some of that gold that we are searching for. 
for those of us who want the power of the Holy Spirit to flow like living water from us. And this is the prayer in Ephesians 1 that Paul prays. And it starts like this. For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. And I just want to take this opportunity to say, church, I am very thankful for you, all of you. So thank you for being you. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. So Paul is praying here to the Trinitarian God. And what Paul asks for is that this church know that Trinitarian God, the God of perfect love, loving relationship, and that you know that his desire is for you, small and broken you. And the word know in English is genosko in Greek, or yada in Hebrew, which I like better because I can say it better. <laughs> and so yada, it's, to, it's more than head knowledge. It means more than reading about God and what he has done, though that is important. But to yada, someone is to know them intimately, to experience them. And so this is the first thing Paul prays for because only when we have actual experiential knowledge of God's goodness and compassion and gentleness and wisdom, do we actually trust him and surrender to him? And Paul knows this because he has had a profound experience with God, after which his life was so full of the Holy Spirit and so full of kingdom life and the manifestations of God's love that he writes this letter from his prison cell and still counts himself blessed. Then Paul prays, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you. Paul next prays that we know, yada, experience the hope that is the renewal of all things. That we experience it in this lifetime, bits of heaven on earth to go back to Tom's teachings from the last few weeks, what Paul is praying for is that where we are thirsty, we are quenched. And where we are disconnected from God and each other, we are brought back in. And where we are stuck, the Holy Spirit starts sorting through and untangle all of the things we tossed up in the tree. Our hope, <laughs> our hope is that the good news, our hope is the good news of the gospel. And it is news meaning it has already happened and it cannot be changed. And Paul prays that through the Holy Spirit, we experience that good news. And it reminds me of the Psalm of David that Scott led us in this morning. I remain confident of this. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. And that is what Paul prays that the spirit of wisdom shows the church. And then he prays that you may know the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people. This is a prayer that we not only experience God in our own lives and our own story, but in, as a part of a rich tapestry that, we are, that we've been woven into. And this is a family that is part of a global family that's also part of a historic family. 
And being in the church means we inherit stories of immense triumph, and we inherit stories of unthinkable tragedy. There is both joy and lament in the holy people of God. And so some of us are going to carry personal hurt from the way the people within the church failed you. And all of us, to some extent, are going to carry the consequences of the church through history that has done evil things, claiming it's for God. And in light of that, what Paul prays here is beautiful. That after we experience how good God is, that was the first thing, and then after we experience the hope of renewal of the world, he prays that we know and experience that despite everything, his plan is still to work through broken people because his love and his grace and his power are more than any of the sin that we can come up with. And he still considers us a glorious inheritance and heirs, and he will repurpose all of it for his glory, which we can trust because we know his goodness. Mm -hmm. And then finally, Paul prays that we may know his incomparably great power for those of us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly realms. So here again is the Holy Spirit bringing life where life was not possible. His power to bring life to the unhabitable places, even into death itself. And if the power of the Holy Spirit can overcome death itself, there is nothing in you or in this world that it cannot overcome. Far above all rule and authority, power and dominion in every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. The church, us, the people who live under the rule and authority of Jesus, we act as his body. And by his grace and through his power that he has given us, we actually do have what we need to do what he did. Teresa of Avila says this, I found it so helpful. Christ has no body on earth but yours. Go and be Christ's body to the world. And it might be important to remember that the Holy Spirit coming wasn't the consolation prize given because Jesus had to die. The pouring out of his Holy Spirit is what was going to make his death worth it. John 14, 12, Jesus says, Very truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing, and they will do even greater things than these, because I am going to the Father. Even greater things than these. And notice he says, whoever believes in me. And Jesus made a habit of saying things like this. If anyone wants to be my disciple, follow me. If anyone is thirsty, come to me. Whoever believes in me will do these things. The Holy Spirit, God's personal, life-giving, chaos-calming presence, made at home in whoever calls Jesus Lord, that is God's plan for the recreation of all things. And if we think that's a terrible plan, then that is because we have yet to see the power of the Holy Spirit made at home in us. And that's our goal. 
The Holy Spirit anoints us in power to bring good news to the poor, the financially poor, the spiritually poor, the lonely, so that no one is left wanting for anything. The Holy Spirit anoints us in power to bring freedom to anything that enslaves your body or your soul or your mind. The Holy Spirit anoints us in power so that the blind may see, so that we look out at the world and at our neighbors and at ourselves and we see life worth renewing and we see how to help renew it. We have incomparably great power at our disposal to be the body of Jesus in its fullness. We have the power to have the life of Jesus filled with knowing God and miracles and suffering love and joy. Martin Lloyd-Jones says, seek it until you have it. Be content with nothing less. Seek this power expect this power, yearn for this power, and when it comes, yield to him. And so I just want to close today. I'm going to pray this this prayer from Ephesians over us, but I also want to submit a challenge to you. If you came in today, uh, you may have received a little printout that has that prayer of Ephesians on it, and if you didn't, you can pick one up at the back on the way out. And uh, Just as I've been preparing for this message, I've just felt convicted that there is something in this prayer, a prayer where Paul is asking for the spirit of wisdom and revelation to be poured out on the church that will really help us in this next season. And so I've been praying it a lot over you guys. And and my challenge for you is to do the same. If we could pray this every day, once a day, use it as a bookmark for your psalm. And as you're praying your psalm, pray this prayer over our church. Pray it for specific people in our church. And I, I just, I really believe that there is something in there. We are formed by prayer and it can help us know and experience God and the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. So that is my challenge for you. And I hope you will take us up on it. And if we could do that until the end of this series and well, let's just see what God can do with that. All right. So if you're able, I just want to invite you to stand and you can hold your hands out. And if you're comfortable, and I would just love to pray this prayer over you. (laughs) For this reason... Ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people, I have not stopped giving thanks to you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms far above all rule and authority, power and dominion and every name that is evoked, 
not only in this present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. Thank you. Thank you, Lord. We offer up what we have to you, God. Fill us with your wisdom. Help us know you more. Help us know the hope of the renewal of all things. Give us, give us evidence of it. Thank you for the riches of this family you've woven us into and help us build each other up and thank you that we get to see salvation played out in other people. It's a privilege that we get to do that and we just want more of that. And help us know your power, your incomparably great power. And help us not just like wade in ankle deep, but be immersed in it. This is your body, Lord. And we ask these things in your name. Amen.